Hello and welcome to Movies and Shit. Uh, so we're going to make this a regular thing. We kind of promised that last week with the episode you may have listened to that Max totally put out already today by the time of this recording. Uh, I'm staring into Max's eyes because he didn't do these things if, if the subtext is lost on you. But uh, we did Under the Silver Lake and Mulholland Drive last week and it was actually a lot of fun, man. I was uh, nervous about how dick pics would go and I think like any first episode of something, there was some, uh, some low points, some high points, but I think we finished fucking strong, Max. Yeah, yeah, I, th- I think it went really well. That was the first in a series. Uh, so, so the idea behind movies and shit, and I know I keep recapping this, but it's Recap still a relatively it. new series, right? Uh, we started it off basically as like a Game of Thrones review show, which wasn't the intention ever, but it just turned into that. We did like, what, 12 episodes on Game right. of Thrones? Yeah, but then listen, the Game of Thrones bubble burst, you know, much like the uh, dot com burst. We had to pivot. We had to pivot away from Game of Thrones. We had to pivot. No, like our intention, though, always to be clear was, you know, we're called movies and shit, like was to cover any variety of things. And so, like, we've got a list of movies that, uh, like, I've got a list of movies I want Christian to watch that he hasn't seen, and vice versa. So, we're going to have like double features like that. We're also doing something called Dick Picks, which are like Dick Picks! mostly <laughs> LA noir um, films that we want to pair up and talk about. So, the last episode we did, uh, if you didn't catch it, was Mulholland Drive and Under the Silver Lake. And uh, this episode, we're going to be doing something a little bit different, going back to the television well. But these are single episodes of television. Um, what I would say would be like, TV episodes that either we think are interesting, worth discussing, or maybe encapsulate the show in some way or can kind of stand on their own. Um, what do you want to call this? You want to call this Movies and Shit Presents? Uh, TV six... episodes that we both picked. Uh, it's, it's a little breathy. It's a little breathy. Uh, it's, it doesn't roll off the top. How about just singles? And we could do a, like a Cameron Crowe singles font. But if, if I see singles, then I would think that it's about like, you know, song singles. Shit. You know, well, we got to spitball this. I'm not leaving. I'm not going to start the show until we know like, what this is called. I'm not against the idea of calling it singles. And how about, how about one shot? One shot. One shot. Like a one shot. Uh, how about one off? <laughs> Sorry. One off. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll, 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 we'll figure that out. <laughs> with Ricky Gervais. Um, <laughs> we'll figure it out. Look, I, I, I do like the concept of this because Max pitched this to me and I had no resistance from it at all. I was like, that's an interesting idea. The, yeah. And again, the weird kind of concept of it is like, these are single episodes and they're not going to be the pilot. I mean, maybe they will eventually, but not sure. the two that we picked today. Um, the idea, as Max eloquently mostly put, was just like to grab something that stood out, whether it's the best example of a show, something that was such a deviation from the norm, but that was still very powerful, uh, which your episode is definitely uh, in league with that description, and I'm excited to talk about it. So let's reveal that first, if you don't mind, which uh, you came up with the premise last night, and you were really like, let's do it. And I'm like, all right, yeah. all right. I mean, even today, I was like, are we doing that today? And you're like, yeah. And you said it with such like fucking gumption. I, I said it over text, so all but that the gumption, gumption fucking was there. Was there. Was yeah. And uh, so uh, I was like, "What do you got for me?" And this fucker, and a little history here. This guy loves Buffy, like loves it. And I'm not saying that as an asshole. I'm just saying that's a fact. You like I, Buffy. I would like to provide some context here. So the episode that I picked was the body, um, right? From season five, I want to say it's like episode 16 of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Nailed it. And the reason that this show uh, is so beloved by me is because 
I never expected to like Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I heard about it growing up, as anybody who was a child of the 90s probably did. It was part of pop culture. And just like the concepts of the show, the title of the show, every clip I'd seen of the show just like seemed like the cringiest shit um, that I'd ever seen. I never wanted to watch it. I kept hearing about how great it was. And finally, one day, I threw up my hands and I said, fucking fine, I'll watch it. And I watched it with my arms crossed. Somehow got through the first season and grew to fucking really be surprised by the thing. And by the end, like I was completely won over. Can um, I just tell you that I had a flashback like to a life that never happened, but it was of you as a as like a as like a housewife in Madrid in 1910. And uh-huh. you're like, no mas! And you threw your hands up and you're like, I'm gonna finally get through this. And you were angry and you had yeah. like a little apron on and you were like, I'm not gonna like this, but like you grew to love it. Right. You know, like you're the Catelyn Stark of this story. You grew to love Jon Snow. (laughs) That that might be that might be the um fucking weird past life that I lived once (laughs) if reincarnation is a thing. Well no, I uh, well then just to give (laughs) just to give the other side. So homie picked Buffy and we'll get into the specific well, you actually already did get into the specifics of that episode. Um kind of. And I picked the Sopranos, but a very particular episode. And I would say this if you told people to pick like your top five episodes of Sopranos. There are people who are going to go to bat for the episode I picked, right? Mm-hmm. But there, I think, are certainly episodes that are better than this. It's not necessarily why I picked it. I picked right. it because, one, I think it's kind of an extraordinary deviation from what The Sopranos is, and at the same time, absolutely what The Sopranos has always been about. It's kind of amazing that it did that. I also picked it because Matthew Weiner, uh, the co-writer, uh, was a co-writer on the episode, creator of Mad Men, mm-hmm. uh, and it very much resembled an episode we would later come to see in Mad Men. Uh, so I kind of wanted to talk about that, too. And I, I couldn't think like of a more eclectic, weird pairing than Buffy the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> And, uh, and the and Sopranos. The Sopranos yeah. So look, I think like, let's do this both, because both I, children of Twin Peaks in their own way, um, in their own way, certainly. And I would say this, I, I watched, uh, Buffy recently. Like that's the one I just watched. Yeah. So if you don't mind, uh, sir, I would like to start with Buffy the Vampire Slayer, uh, an episode sure. called the body, right? As you said, it's five seasons in and, uh, I kept saying this was a comedy and that's only because it totally like there's just one moment that's totally a comedy man but the rest of this was uh harrowing in a way that i wasn't ready for uh and i would also say it's like the episode if you ever want to try to convince someone to watch like yeah this is totally the episode you put on because it almost plays like vampire hunters they're just like us almost right like in terms of like suddenly they're stripped away from the genre almost completely for the entire episode uh devoid of one scene so like the very end of it pretty much yeah right um and it's just a straight up drama and i was like yep i wasn't ready for this and i'm gonna be real and i just smoked so my empathy levels were at all-time high but good yeah very very close to crying multiple times in the episode because they're like i watched it last night and like every time i watch it like it still hits um pretty hard it's an episode it's a very very stark episode about death um to set it up in general uh well can i ask a question before you set it up just very quickly uh behind the scenes production wise uh we didn't still day-to-day showrunner because i know he wrote and directed this episode but i didn't know if that was like all right the guy had kind of handed it off i know he had a bunch of different shows in production and he came back for that episode or was he like firmly in control so I, I'm, I'm a pretty big fan of his TV output, but I'm going to be really honest. I don't know enough about like his behind the scenes shit. I know that he was okay. still credited as showrunner for this, but he was also like pretty into Angel at the time. I think he had started production on Firefly at this point. Right. Um, so he had his hands in a lot of different projects. Um, so I don't know like how on 
forward he was for every right. Well, either way, I mean, it's an episode that is so... It actually made me like him a lot more, <laughs> which is weird that a piece of filmmaking or television, whatever, that's got to be about 20 years old, right? Like, we're definitely coming up on it at this point, right? I think it came out... I looked it up last night. It came up, uh, like, February of 2001. Okay, um, yeah, episode. so, like, we're almost there. And I was like, wow, this is actually the best directing I think I've ever seen from this guy in terms of, like, getting him to getting the audience to feel exactly what you want to feel. I have st- stepped over your context. I'm very sorry, sir. Set up the episode. Oh yeah. No, all I was going to say was that Buffy, um, this is a great standalone episode. Cause like I didn't provide you with any background or context for where the season was. Or what was oh, and up. I should say that. Yeah. I never saw an episode of this. And you yeah. don't need any context for this right. episode. I don't think like there's a couple mentions of like what's going on in the overall plot, but it's not important to like understanding what's happening in this story. Just kind of why I picked it too. Um, but it's always been a show about growing up. And this is the pivotal episode, and we'll get into why, uh, where Buffy ceases to be a child in any way. This is where she becomes an adult. This is the point of no return for her character. This is where the series starts to get darker, gets into things like addiction, loss, grief, rape. And, and she's firmly out of high school at this point, right? She's in college at this point? She had dropped out of college at this point okay. and was like basically struggling to figure out like who she is. Right. Because I mean, before we actually get into the details, I would say like as a person who's I've saw, I guess I've seen two episodes, right? Because the pilot is, is a two-parter or something, I think. I, that's not true. I think I've seen like six episodes. I got it to when Angel got introduced and was like, this is laughable. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's not whatever. I don't mean to be an asshole. I, mean, I know it gets better because I saw yeah. this episode today and I can tell you people it gets really wonderful. But I, I came in without context. I kind of knew like, oh, Buffy's a vampire slayer. Angel, mm-hmm. she likes, he's a jock, he's an asshole, whatever. Like that's the metaphor of it sort of. Uh, but like taking away from this, it's like, it's a wonderful fucking episode because again, not knowing anything about the team dynamics, I learned everything I needed to learn within the episode. Yeah. Uh, naturally. <laughs> like, you know, and I, and there, it's weird because it seemed like uh, they gave every character a moment to mourn in their way, mm-hmm. which I thought was really impressive. And I would just say, dude, yeah. even the beginning, dude, holy shit. So watching this episode again, it just begins and Buffy's walking into the house and she's calling for her mom and there's flowers at the door. And again, I don't know. I'm like, did, did was this leading directly into this episode from beforehand? Uh, is there right. an over It didn't matter because just that first shot when she goes to the stairs and out of focus, you see like this lifeless thing on the couch. I'm like, Oh shit. I was not ready for this. This is page one. This is page yeah. one, Max. Yeah. And, and this is, uh, so basically, yeah, what has happened is that what the episode is about, it's dealing with Buffy finding her mother dead of natural causes on the couch. And this is a, a character who's dealing with supernatural forces and demons and the personification of evil itself that she fights at one point. And this is like one thing she can't fight. It's just her mother is fucking dead. There's no other reason for it. She's just gone. And it's about how all these characters respond to grief and processing that. Right. Uh, and the beginning of the episode really kind of deals with just the real-time reaction of everything, of, yeah. of her finding the body and uh, Sarah Michelle Geller, that fucking lady. But goddamn, kind of great, man. Kind of, yeah, yeah, she really yeah, does. Yeah. Uh, just like, you know, the, like you, you see her regress, but she's saying one word. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, mo- yeah. mo- mommy, mommy. Like, I don't know. It broke my fucking heart. And then the next 10, 15 minutes of the episode are still just dealing with that. Uh, right. And I think it's a really powerful culmination. Now, he's, he's, he's pulling the strings, man. He's, like, fucking with you. Yeah. Well, they're, well, oh, go ahead. Yeah, no, he does some really great things with the filmmaking here because, like, she finds her mom, and then it's just this agonizing, like, 10 to 15-minute stretch of film where it's just 
like her trying to administer CPR on the phone with paramedics, the paramedics coming in, uh, she throws up on the floor and puts like a paper towel down and just seeing the vomit seep through the paper towel, like her focusing on these little details, imagining scenarios in which, no, her mother's fine. Everything's okay. Like it all works out. Uh, apparently Whedon found his mother dead and this is like his kind of ode to that. Like this is what Oof. went through emotionally when that happened. Um, but just talking about how you're running through all these different fantasies in your head that somehow make it worse. Um, yeah, I, that's an additional layer of context that kind of like wrecks me a little bit yeah. for sure. I mean, I was just going to say like that entire thing I think was great. There's no score. Like you are yeah. left uncomfortably like like hoping anything sound wise comes on to like take you outside of this place. You feel like you're invading something. You're seeing something that maybe you shouldn't be seeing. Uh, and I thought that was great. And then the entire paramedic scene itself, just like, no, not just the flashes to this world where, Oh, she caught it or something. Uh, just like, just looking at that EKG and just like completely flatlined, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like we know what's happened because we're the audience and we know it's up, but like, it's right. still in the moment. Just like, no, how do you process this? Like, Oh, yeah. she's just, she's just passed out. She's fine. <laughs> like we just got to get her the attention. I don't know. So the opening 15 minutes already blew me away. And I was like, I'm going to be honest. The problem with this episode so far before we go into it is like Buffy can't match this. Buffy can't do this every time. Like, can I even watch the rest of the show now? Because like th th right. that, that set the fucking watermark, man. Yeah, so, I mean, that that was the danger, I guess, of showing you this episode. <laughs> well, here's what I'll say about Buffy. What's wonderful about it is that this episode is completely different from anything they'd ever done, but so is almost every great episode of this show. Is, like, what makes this show great is that they were always willing to experiment. So they've done, like, full-on, like, slapstick comedies. They've well, done, I know they've done, like, the silent episode that everyone talks about yeah, and the musical. The, silent episode musical episode they've done episodes from the perspectives of minor characters before people were really doing that on television just like what this side character is up to while the world saving is going on in the background right so narratively or filmmaking wise like they're always doing something interesting at least a couple times per season well i gotta tell you i wasn't like i, I mean i really loved the beginning but then like when they cut to the credits that and look, it's era appropriate, but that theme song is, well, and again, it's just like, mommy, mommy, cut the black. I'm just like, oh, shit. Yeah. That's well, that, that was one thing that like rewatching the Sopranos right after this, I was like, man, Sopranos uh, theme song and is credits have aged so well. Lit. You know, I was going to say yeah. they're more, they're more of a jam today than they were back then, I think, Seriously. man. And plus, because I, I live in this area now, like I was like, oh, Elizabeth, <laughs> New Jersey. Yeah, right. Yeah. No, dude, it was fucking crazy. I don't know. Yeah. I was I thought the same thing and i'm like i always forget i remember when i first started watching sopranos like and we'll get to this more in detail i want to take away from buffy but the theme song of that was like whatever it's like yeah. something my dad would like and mm -hmm. then by season three once you hear that boom boom boom, boom you're boom, like oh boom, no boom. i am my dad yeah <laughs> we're gonna die one day uh but yeah no so uh the buffy after that then it goes to kind of the other the perspectives of other people but before we actually jump to the other people um the first outside character we see is that giles is that his name giles i'm giles, so sorry yeah. okay he's so basically I, like her father character her watcher and he's in the pilot i'm aware of him to it to a degree uh but he's the first one to come in from the outside to mm -hmm. see see the body and, and that word is very that's the reason man. that's like the whole yeah. point of this episode i think because i really love that like the crux of the episode that all the major conflict and stuff not to say there isn't stuff for other people but it's for buffy her she goes to that whole fucking story circle very quickly and yeah. then has to come to the realization she she refers to her mom not as her mom but as the body don't yeah, move the body you can't move the body and then puts her hands over her mouth yeah 
Yeah. Um, Rough, bro. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then I think what the next the next scene, not to go too chronologically, is it when she meets with her friends, or was is it when she goes to see Dawn at the high school? She goes to Dawn in the high school, which I know we don't want to do like chronological things, but I feel like it's almost a disservice to do that because of how well the individual yeah. moments were with everyone. But what were you gonna say? I'm sorry. Oh yeah, so so the the scene with Dawn, they're in this art class, and it's like kind of like the perfect. If there's one still image you were to pick from this episode, it's of the canvas. They're drawing the negative space around a figure. And Buffy breaks the news to Dawn and she's silently weeping and freaking out and the camera pulls over to uh, this uh, silhouette of a person like, right. with the negative space drawn in around them, which yeah. is like, the perfect representation of like, what this episode's about. Keeping uh, hold as somebody leaves. Ridiculously powerful scene um, to the point where, and I, and I liked the decision for us not to be there. Yeah. Like we didn't need that. We already saw the first thing. It already made me feel like I was like voyeuristic in some manner by seeing something I shouldn't have saw. And it was just way more powerful to see the body language of that person and then like kind of crumble and, and also her, just the introduction of that character. And again, I don't know anything about these people, but just in I, the intro to her character in that episode is her crying about trivial things. It's like amazing mm-hmm. the things that we deem important until right. actual important things happen. Like, like some girl is like being a bitch to her in class or something like that. And right. then this happens. And, and you know, like five minutes ago, she was crying her eyes out about something that like, she doesn't give a fuck about ultimately, you know, and it's right. just like, but that was really great. And the rest of the supporting guests, it's like, look, and I don't know all of them, but I, I, you can kind of get the gist of their relationships and how they relate and stuff like that. And I thought there was just a ton of really beautiful moments yeah. um, about not, but uh, about not understanding the absurdity of death. The one I really do want to spotlight, I guess, is the is her name Anya? She's like a thousand-year-old lady or something? What's yeah, her name? and like for context, that's one person I guess I should provide context for. She's a thousand-year-old vengeance demon who had her powers stripped away from her, and now she's just like has to deal with being a person. So like she's the narrative device usually used for like comic relief to sort of show like this is what it means to be human from the, out- from the eyes of somebody who like doesn't understand how that works. They're right. running as they go. Well, that's interesting uh, because I, I could definitely see that they were reminding her for the like uh, lost in translation bits, if you will. Right. You know what I mean? But um, uh, they kind of want like ramp up to something really emotional with her, too. And again, not knowing her situation, not knowing that she's a, a vengeance demon, as you so eloquently put it. Uh, I was just like really taken aback by like, oh, man, this per- this person's seen things. Earlier in the episode, she's talking about how, like, oh, Santa Claus is real. I mean, he, like, eats children, but he's real. <laughs> uh, they, you know, they gave everything you needed about that character, and then you were able to see why that's funny, but you could also see what the tragedy of that was, was, like, just not being understood or not yeah. understanding. I mean, I don't know, man. I, don't, I can't I can speak for myself. The, I'm more upset about things when people misconstrue intentions or they don't understand what I'm saying. If I can't articulate myself well. And sure. like she, that's what that feeling was. And it was just about death. And I was like, Jesus Christ, the show's kind of lit, bro. I'm, yeah. I, I, this isn't great criticism. I'm sorry. I mean, you just wanted to show me this so I could have like an initial reaction. And I was like really right. blown away by this in a way that I was not prepared for. Yeah. And like a part of this is just too for me, because this is again, a show that really won me over over time. Um, and it's really hard to convince people that it's a good show because like they'll watch that pilot episode and that is dated as fuck and rough. I appreciate it knowing, knowing where this, uh, the show goes, but like watching that pilot episode, it's like, it's enough to turn off most people because it's like the most nineties cliched, like, alternative but at the time it was the star wars of 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 90s television (laughs) people couldn't believe it (laughs) yeah um 
but yeah, yeah, I'm I'm glad you connected with the episode so much. I don't know uh, how how much more you want to get into with it, um, in terms of like where it goes, but it's just like this musicless, well observed uh, sort of like stark depiction of death. Um, that up until that point, I don't, I can't think of many television episodes before then or even really now that like nail the concept of like what it is to deal with loss like this does. Right. Um, maybe that six feet under pilot. Maybe, maybe it. Because yeah. it's because it's really hard to do, and you don't expect like you expect one of the greats to do that. You expect Sopranos or The Wire or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, but you don't expect it from like a teen vampire genre show. And I think that's kind of the point. Is like, oh, it's not, it's not that. Like it is, but it you know, genres the are the are the clothing we wrap our stories in. Like there right. there are these real stories to be told. Um, and I thought, yeah, I really connected with it, man. I loved it. And I don't know what happens next, and maybe I don't, but I I, I like the idea that you can kind of see it as the definitive point in storytelling where you said it, this is the crossing of a threshold for Buffy. She is now fully the adult. She has autonomy. And now more than anything else, she's responsible for things in a way. Yeah. She like assumes a role of responsibility for her little sister in a way she hadn't before. She assumes like a more maternal protective role in a way she hadn't before, but she also like just is forced to grow up and stop with like the childish bullshit. It's not about like boys anymore. It's about her like, becoming more herself has this dude made anything better than this directing wise um Oof, directing wise i don't know yeah i mean i i don't know i mean directing isn't just about oh it's framed well i mean directing is how you manipulate your viewers in a in a weird way you know yeah. uh and he killed it I, I was just again i wasn't ready for the techniques and yeah like look it looks old but so does the sopranos which is like a really good reason that you know if you pick this up you go back and watch the first season of sopranos it's not great looking Right. You know, by the middle of it, you kind of buy into the aesthetic and it's fine. But it's the point. You got to give the uh, you really got to give the show some time to breathe. And, and it, the fact that Buffy was even capable of that is fucking incredible, dude. So, yeah, thank you for making me watch that. And hopefully we can get other people to watch that because yeah. like, again, what's great doesn't spoil any mythology aside from like mentioning, I guess, big bads that may be out doing yeah. something. But again, they use that as just a ploy for talking it's about like, the random absurdist. Of life. Exactly. It's like two lines here or there, but it's right. not. Important. So I think it's a wonderful starter course. It also gives you a really a good idea of what the, the dynamics are. And that's one thing he's always been really wonderful at. I think that's why after the fact, you look at the decision to cast him for the Avengers, right? As the director, yeah. it's like, well, no fucking, of course. Like, yeah, when you watch this show plus Angel, like those are literally like group team up kind of superhero stories that are dealing with like human or right. like using that to sort of tell human stories. Um, so it, it does make sense the more you like think about it and watch those shows. But I really recommend uh, checking out Buffy if you haven't. If you've been like reticent or skeptical, uh, check it out. Angel Two is a uh, it's another great one. You're not gonna if, get a two for one here. This fucker's <laughs> always trying to get Angel. You got such an agenda, man. Ah, Angel season five, man. It's my favorite season of television. Maybe it's up there. Ugh, all right, let's move on. You can pick <laughs> that episode next week. <laughs> Uh, yeah, man. All right. So look, let's talk about the Sopranos. So I picked the episode, the test dream, right? Test mm-hmm. dream from season five. Holy shit. Number one season five. I think we uh, just, can we admit it after the fact is like clearly the best season of that show? Like, yeah, it was, well, so, so here's, here's the thing about me and the Sopranos. It's been like a good six years since I watched it. So I didn't remember a lot of things like in terms of placing this episode. So I kind of had to like, look up like, 
what other episodes were this season? And I was like, oh my God, long-term parking. Well, that's days. the next episode. Yeah. I mean, think about that for a second. Long-term parking, I think you bask any Joe Blow off the fucking street. What's their favorite top five? Like, Long-term that's parking. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's incredible. It's, it really is. I think I believe it won the Emmy. I mean, mm-hmm. also believe Bashemi directed that episode. But season yeah. five really is the culmination of everything The Sopranos was like going to be. Not to say the first four seasons were bad. Holy shit, they were wonderful too. But yeah, man, season five is like where it's all working. Right. And in a season full of iconic episodes, I could have picked long-term parking and we might pick long-term parking at some point. I think it's like a fucking incredible episode, but I wanted to choose this again because it is the furthest departure from what you know as the Sopranos in the same right. way that, you know, people will talk about Buffy. They'll think, Oh, it's a fucking vampire thing. It's genre. I don't want to do that. People from the outside, like Sopranos is about the mafia. I don't like mafia movies. I don't care. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and that, and that's the thing that like draws people in initially or pushes them off the show is like the idea that like oh it's like a fucking goodfellas or something but in a tv show form and it's really more about the we can get more into this but it's more about like the death of the american dream or the lie of the american dream um the idea that like uh basically like one man's like kind of dark journey of the soul into discovering that he'll never change um, and this episode yeah. is a real microcosm of those themes within it, yeah. even if it strays away from what the show traditionally is. And so right. uh, I think we should begin. And I would say this is the shortest episode of The Sopranos. Don't know if oh, you know that. It, really? okay. it is. Uh, this episode has more than 50% of its runtime dedicated to a fucking dream sequence. It's mm-hmm. not that we haven't seen that before, but I would argue that maybe this was the first time they really fucking nailed it. And yeah. even though there are two great examples of shows that would do something similar, and we'll get to those later, I still think this might be the blueprint, man. It's kind of fucking wonderful. Yeah, um, in terms of capturing dream logic, um, like actual dream logic, not like in dream logic adjacent like Twin Peaks does, um, right. this is very much like probably the closest thing to like a film's dream that you're going to see. Um, and, and again, now this one's a little bit different because you do need context, I guess, for some of the auxiliary plot lines yeah. that are going on. But this a lot is of very what- rooted in the show's history, but you can watch it without that. But it is like very like you're not going to get all the nuance and everything that's going on in Tony's head without. Sure. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's definitely more steeped. It's not as removed from the main storyline as Buffy is, I would say that. Right. Uh, but at the same time, it's still, I think, a great distillation of the themes. And watching it again, I forgot, like, oh, there's 20 minutes of an actual episode in here before the dream sequence. Like, mm-hmm. totally forgot that. For some reason, I thought, like, scene one was him fucking checking into that hotel or something. I don't know why. I forgot there was all this setup. But a little bit of setup within the season. Uh, in the beginning of season five, Tony's long-lost cousin uh, and he's important because he went to jail the night that Tony had like a panic attack and wasn't able to go. Right. So this is right. like a survivor's guilt thing. After 20, 30 years, he finally gets out and Tony has set him up for the season and he can't really help himself. And he's doing all these bad things. And by the time we get to this episode, he is doing things totally behind Tony's back that are detrimental to the family. And now the, the, the family's feuds are escalating. Like there's right. New York and Jersey or, or he ramping up the fucking violence. And it's all because of Tony's cousin. Also yeah. Tony. <laughs> and, and uh, Tony Soprano knows this on sub, sub, some subconscious level. Right. But like he wants to continue trusting his cousin because yeah, I mean, kind of I would survival say this. guilt and also like just he's a loyal fucker up to a point. I would say this, the show does this a lot. And this is one of the things where he said, yeah, the hook of it for a lot of people is the mafia aspect. What I really love about it is like, yeah, you could come for that, but you can come for dream analysis. You can come for psychoanalysis. Like Mm -hmm. there's so many different things going on. It's not like that this show hadn't even done a dream sequence like this before. 
uh, when he finds out that, again, it's kind of like when big decisions need to get made. When he finds out, like, he confirms to himself, rather, that Big Pussy is uh, the fucking rat in season two. Right. Uh, he, it's the fish talking to him on the boardwalk. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's that dream sequence. It's him confirming something that he knows but doesn't want to confront. Like, yeah. Tony is that fucking maybe loyal or that repressed or, or set in his old ways or whatever, but, like, can never confront these things unless he does it subconsciously and then he kind of comes to that realization. Yeah, because he, well, he doesn't want to live in the world that he's living in up to a point. He doesn't want to live in a world where he can't trust anybody, where he can't bring anybody in or bring him in too close. So it's like he's embraced this guy and he knows on some level that, like, he shouldn't have. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and the entire episode is more or less him grappling with a decision that he knows he has to make, that every character that he meets within this dream assumes he's already made. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it, it's, a, it's really fucking haunting. And beyond that, it kind of culminates with this really incredible scene with his coach. Now, the problem is there's dream logic here. So I don't know how we take this, to be completely honest, because I don't want to get lost in the sauce of like, oh, then it cuts to this, and then it cuts to that. It's, really, it's dream logic. It's going to sound weird. You know what yeah. I mean? But um, I, I, I think that there was a lot of things that happened in it that have really made sense because it's 29 minutes of a dream sequence and there's so much of the actual mythology of the show built into that as well, right? We mm -hmm. see like Tony's mistress, mistress who had killed herself in a previous season, right? Like he's dealing with that guilt. Uh, what was her know, name again? Gloria? Gloria Trillo. Trillo? Yeah. yeah, I got a new Mercedes Benz. Yeah, that's, that's yeah, that she, She's the one that he meets in uh, Melfi's office, right? Right, which listen, I would let's bring that up very, very quickly, which is like classic Sopranos. Like you think Melfi and and you know Tony, like that that for me at least is like kind of the emotional crux of that show. Right. Uh, and she's not in this episode, you know. Like Gloria yeah. is in her office. She's, she's in real life in the episode where she's like at the hotel he's checking into, right? And she doesn't see him, but that's it, right? Yeah, yeah. And so it's like weird that like her being who she is, it wasn't as. Uh, you we know, do she hear wasn't... her voice though. Like she speaks through Gloria at one point, which yeah. I didn't realize until I saw the subtitles, and I was like, "Oh shit!" Right, what's that? <laughs> good, good old subtitles, man. Right, yeah. like they're always like, there for you. It's, in Melfi's uh... voice, and I was like, "What?" Right. Uh, yes, I mean, sorry. I just thought there's if you watch Rick and Morty with subtitles, there's always a joke of from a background character that mm. you're never gonna hear because it's buried <laughs> real deep in the mix. But that's neither here nor there. Um, test stream. Uh, Again, it's just kind of going through these like moments in Tony's life, the like subconscious things and, 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 and talking about his uh, indiscretions and his biggest sins and his anxieties. Right. And, like, like, well, when we talk about the concept of a test dream, like psychologically, that, that means it, it's a dream that's telling you that you're not ready for something, right? Or that you have to face something that you're not ready to face. Right. Well, well, then that brings me to that coach scene where, he, you know, after going through all this stuff, and there's a lot of stuff, I mean, he ends up being on a horse in his living room. And it's actually the first time we see Carmela. It's also weird. Carmela's barely in this episode. Yeah. A lot of people really aren't on this episode. It's kind of like a tour de force of sorts for, mm -hmm. uh, again, Alfini to just be scared all the time. Um, but, you know, we go through uh, all these different avenues and they're weird and they're twisty, but we end up in a gym locker room. Right. And he has a gun and he's going to go shoot his coach and his coach knows he's there. It's like coach when he was a kid. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and it devolves into that test stream and like you are unprepared. Right. But yeah. more, more so than anything else. And this is what I loved about the episode, the distillation of what the entire show is about. It's like, what did I tell you, Soprano? Like you had potential. You just needed to not run with the kids that you ran with. Blah, blah, blah. blah right? right. Like being confronted with the idea. And, and you said it earlier, but like the show is about the death of the American dream. And the pilot, he even puts it on front street. He's like, it's always good to get in on the ground floor or something. But lately I've been thinking I'm coming in at the end of it. 
you know yeah like it's this thing that like oh you were, were buying into a promise but that promise is bullshit because we've lost the we've lost our way mm-hmm. uh and so like just being confronted with that in a dream state he melts right that's when the actual dream test comes into play uh as opposed to everything else is like stream of consciousness dreaming it's all fine like yeah people are telling him what to do but when he gets to the coach and when he's confronted with that, right, like the thesis statement for the whole thing, he drops his gun. The fucking bullets turn to what looks like chocolate. You know what I mean? I don't know yeah. what's going on there. They're uh, just like turning into something that he like, yeah, they dissolve in his hands and he's like freaking out. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I just that like we talk about what that show really is. And like, well, one, it's a show about family. Like yeah. the mafia thing is so secondary. Like you really could change the profession. I mean, it would have to still be sort of high stakes, but like this could be a, politi- a political family show if it had to be. It could be could like be. a Wall Street family show, like Secession on HBO. Mm-hmm. Um, like the, the the circumstance could change. The dynamic is still a family show. It's still like this existential exploration of what it is to feel adrift, right? To feel like yeah. the world is passing you by, the world's crumbling beneath you. Like it's a bunch of stuff. And this episode, while being so far removed from whacking people although someone does get killed so maybe that's not true you know what i mean uh right it's mostly removed from what people think on the outside the sopranos is it's like the weirdest i think by far the weirdest episode that they've done in terms of just completely getting away from story logic you know what i mean Mm -hmm. uh and i think it's it's a fucking achievement and again being in a season where you have the two tonys being in a season where you have long-term parking or cold cuts you know what i mean like some right. all-time greats in that fucking season, um, and they were able to make it work. It's kind of yeah. impressive, man. Well, I, I do want to call out um, the first, what, 20 minutes of the episode that are not a dream are still, like, some dream of my favorite shit in the show. And well, I was going to say, yeah, well, just in the beginning, the episode starts, and he's, like, fucking his mistress, and then she literally lights herself on fire. And right. that's why I thought and, again, like, oh, it's it, a dream. Yeah, because I hadn't seen it in a while. I was like, oh, does it just start off with the dream? Oh, shit, okay. Right. And then it was like, no, it's not cutting away. <laughs> it's not getting any weirder than she's just on fire and he's putting her out. Right. Um, and then it, it, there's that wonderful kind of, it kind of reminded me of like uh, the scene in Boogie Nights near the end where the kid is like lighting fireworks. And it's just this like tense scene where he's over at um, other Tony's house, Steve Buscemi's, uh, what is his, his aunt? or something right 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 yeah, yeah yeah and and like steve buscemi will not stop shifting around and picking up toys and walking and pacing and tony's just like having this like conic conversation about how he's feeling lately and he like the other tony just like won't stop like yeah yeah the fucking kids the kids and right. it's just like this ramping up like this ramped up like sort of tense scene um and you can see tony internalizing like all the information and all the vibes that he's getting from his cousin there um it's so good I mean, and the weird thing is, like, as serious as the episode is, it's fucking hilarious. Like, mm-hmm. not not Buffy the Body hilarious, which we all know well. is secretly a slapstick comedy. But no, it's, like, really fucking funny. Um, and also really sweet in a weird way. Uh, I, yeah. like, the end of the episode, he talks to Carmelo on the phone. And by the way, again, crumbling marriage. Like, I feel like we did a bad yeah, job they're, explaining they're, uh, that. in the middle of a divorce, right? Which is right. what they say at the beginning of the episodes. Uh, his mistress is like, you know, you're in the middle of a divorce, and I see you less than ever. Right. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, he was hoping for the fire. Let's just be real. At that point, it really bailed him out. He's like, pretty much. Uh, I love that when she's in the hospital, he's like, y- you're going to look the same as you ever did. Oh, fuck like, yo. Fuck <laughs> you. Um, yeah, but like, so, you know, she's not there. And, and in the dream, we see her briefly. And she's the horse scene that you mentioned, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's, you can't have your horse in here. Now, horse, 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 right. uh, whatever. 
But uh, yeah, it's I kind of make a mess all over the floor, Tony. He's like, I'll pick it up. Well, Don't I really like that. that. Like, but even they they broached the idea of like there are there are non negotiable rules. Like, you can't have right. your horse. Fidelity is a problem with Tony, so that's already kind of there. That's really pretty. But at the very end of the episode, like, you know, he uh, is talking to her on the phone, saying he can't take AJ, and they have like a sweet conversation, and he hears the dog barking, and like he makes a joke, and she laughs, and he's like, is it light where you are yet? <laughs> You're maybe five miles away, Tony. Right. Like, what do you mean? Like, do you not understand how the fucking curvature of the <laughs> earth works? Like, I don't know. I got shitty yeah. about that for some reason. It made me laugh really hard. Um, but it's uh, like one of the like the the ending conversation that he has with his his wife um, is one of their most intimate and just sort of kind um, and endearing in a weird way, right. which makes it sadder to see. Well, it's they, like this guy come- has no one to turn to emotionally. Right. I mean, they come together. I mean, but again, they if we're do. talking about this is the singles or the one shot or right. whatever the fuck we're talking about, whatever Just this taken is. in isolation, like this is a crumbling marriage and this is the per- the only person he has to turn to. Right. He's like feeling lost. Um, I, I also want to say t- uh, two other scenes that just I blew my fucking mind for no reason was there's just a whole scene and it's only like 20 seconds long, but... It's just a scene where Tony, because <laughs> I was like, yo, I want to do what he's doing. He just went into a hotel, had a bathrobe on, drinking some scotch, eating a steak. I'm like, this is lovely. Like, this is all yeah. I want to do with my time. Right. And then they cut, and he's clearly fucked up, and he's drunk, and he's just watching the channel in the hotel that's, like, about the hotel. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? right i don't know why that was the funniest thing in the world i'm just like dude i've been there i've been hammered being like dude this fun but also like four balconies bro (laughs) yeah no also kind of a good um maybe bit of foreshadowing because there is like quite a bit of that imagery in this episode where tony is watching himself on a television or watching what's happening or about to happen or has happened on a television screen like he's outside of his own life and it's almost like a meta sort of like him being aware that he's in a TV show up to a point. It's a a strange thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, there was a lot of other things like Gary Cooper was on the, uh, the TV and we know Gary Cooper is kind of like, whatever happened to the strong and silent type, you know, like fucking Gandolfini shit. But like that was there. Uh, Chinatown was on screen for a second. Like Mm -hmm. there are all these like visual cues that kind of like cue you into what that character's feeling a little bit but uh also Annette Bening as herself well thank you for bringing it up because that is the next scene which is like listen Annette Bening being there it's like being wonder like kind of amazing I forgot kind of how great she was I mean I haven't seen anything with her with her in it lately so I'm not it's been been a hot minute not saying she's bowed out yeah saying that I haven't seen it. And the point is, she was really great in this. I thought she was hilarious. More yeah. importantly, Kevin McAllister's dad in Home Alone right. was that like guy. A, a front to back uh, Lionel Richie cover. Mm-hmm. And like, you think it's playing sweet because they're cutting to Meadow and Meadow's smiling and like, and, right. and, and what's his name? Finn. Like, he's there and everything's fine. And then they just cut back to Annette Bening and like, nothing happens. <laughs> like, right. I'm sorry. It was so good. Like it was a full two minutes and thirty seconds of the show of him s- just singing a song. To a woman and then after that, like not care. You know, singing always makes me have to tinkle. And then Tony's like, "I'll go with you." Right? Uh, did then, you peep? Who directed that episode? By I did not. Do you know? I, I in my heart, it feels like Tim Van Patten, who was responsible for some of my favorite Sopranos episodes. At the same time. Mm-hmm. I feel like I think last time I checked this, it wasn't. And maybe it was like Ed Bianchi or something like that. Do you mind looking it up really quickly? The reason I'm bringing this up is because The Sopranos 
is that fucking show. In a lot of ways, it's the ground zero of writer room TVs for great dramas, right? We talked about this before. The Sopranos didn't just give us The Sopranos. It gave us Mad Men. It gave us fucking, like, uh, you know, say what you want about the later seasons, Damages. It gave us, uh, what was the other? Boardwalk Empire. Terry Winter worked on that. Uh, But also great directors. A lot of these directors would go on to Game of Thrones. Uh, Tim Van Patten would go on to do Boardwalk Empire. Uh, Who's the director? This is Alan Coulter who oh, went on to direct them. the Hollywood classic Hollywood Land. Um, Don't you dare. That one's great, bro. Affleck? Affleck in that movie, I though? I mean, he is in the film. Affleck is in the movie. You, yeah, uh, he directed several episodes of Boardwalk, a um, bunch of episodes of The Sopranos, Sex in the City, your favorite. That's my favorite. I'm a Miranda. <laughs> You're a Samantha. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Charlotte. What are you talking about? You're a whore. You're a Samantha, and and you own that whoredom. That's Thank the you. difference, man. That's like the nicest thing you've said to me in a while. Thank I, you. Okay, I appreciate fine. that. We're in a bad relationship. Uh, I mean, all to say, look. I mean, I, going back to it, it's like I really liked this episode, uh, and I want to bring this up before we kind of end it, which is legacy TV shows. Like, I think this is an episode that maybe did some shit within the industry. People can't pull it off, but we've seen this happen before. I think mm-hmm. the most successful ones, I mean, you can look at Mad Men. I feel like Mad Men's had a couple of these, if I'm being honest. Like, yeah. uh, maybe, maybe not fully Dream Logic stuff, but there's been three or four episodes where, like, there are, like there's entire 10 oh, minute segments that are. The Crash, Faraway Places. Um, right. Yeah, but I mean, the thing about Mad Men, not to make it a Mad Men podcast, um, but <laughs> I've been rewatching choice episodes of that because I was thinking, like, what Mad Men episode could I pick? And the truth is you could pick any Mad Men episode because all of those are like standalone little movies, um, which is such a strange way to structure the show. You kind of see a precursor of that in The Sopranos, which is where like Matthew Weiner like uh, fucking made his bones, you know, he fucking learned the ropes or whatever. But almost every episode of Mad Men um, is its own thing. Right. I I think at that point you're going to pick your poison. And let me, let me do this just because I, I, the other show I was going to talk about was the leftovers uh, international assassin, because it Mm -hmm. felt very similar. We're in this other worldly place. Uh, There is a call to action, right? Like Tony gets a call on the phone. You got to do that thing. Uh, Kevin Garvey has to go do that thing. Like there's a lot of similar things. And again, even though they're similar, they're not repeating themselves, but I think you'd have to be fucking stupid not to think that Damon Lindelof saw the test stream and was like, oh, so we can do this now. Like, we're able to do this. Uh, I think that sometimes we forget. And of course, there's probably films of this before. I'm not saying that, but like, I don't think we sit back and realize like the impact that The Sopranos really had on the fucking industry at large in terms of what we were able to do on TV, the types of Mm -hmm. stories we were able to tell on TV. Uh, it's, It's like next level. With that, I kind of want to give people the preview of what we're going to do next week. And I'm going to put you on the spot because we haven't talked about this yet, but you've been talking about Mad Men. And I think, look, man, it's a show I love. It's a show you love. Like, let's figure out. Let's figure out an episode. And I got one on the tip of my tongue, but maybe it's the obvious. I'm wondering if you, because to speak to your point, every episode is kind of a standalone thing. Uh, Every episode is a perfect encapsulation of it. It depends on what you want to feel in that particular episode. Well, um, so so I'm gonna I'm gonna go a little bit off the beaten path with this one. Okay, no, this is good. An, I think it's an underappreciated episode that I just rewatched, and it's just so structurally fucking wonderful. Um, is three Sundays from season two? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, that's good. Uh, which that's... is uh, I don't know if you remember that one. It's the one that takes place three consecutive Sundays, and it shows like the deterioration of betty and don's relationship uh peggy meeting father gill and him well we can get into that but um yeah give him a little let, let, yeah, let him come back um, wanting for more man <laughs> uh 
Um, okay, so that, I mean, that's great. I think that's a great off the beaten path episode. Uh, I'm afraid I'm basic as fuck, and I'm not going to do that. But I want a suitcase. I'm not. No, because I don't think we'll do Mad Men. I think you'll pick one episode for Mad oh, okay. Men, and then I'll pick something from something else. Um, the suitcase, by the way, to me is kind of like the top of the mountain in terms of the subtlety of mm-hmm. moments like you want to talk about like every other show would uh, have some great grandiose moment at the very end between Peggy and, and Don and what we will absolutely cover this episode at some point but uh, I would just say that you know there's just a scene where they like he puts his hand on hers and they look at each other and it is the most romantic thing in the world while being so far removed from romance like it is so right. much deeper it is so much more intimate than any it's of this literally other bullshit. A confirmation like, of mutual respect it's kind of fucking amazing it's one of my favorite tv moments ever and we'll get to that eventually but i think what i want to do believe it or not is because i'm forcing a friend to rewatch lost right now mm-hmm. um i kind of want to attack an episode from there the reason being that you know when we talk about the greatest shows of all time most of them appear on paid channels uh, because you got to do whatever you wanted. There were no censors. There were no advertising that you had to make sure that you were uh, suitable for. You know what I mean? Right. When we talk about the greatest shows of all time. They never c- correlate with the highest rated shows of all time because success does not merit uh, greatness. You know, I think mm-hmm. we've seen that time and time again. Lost is that show, that really weird show where it all worked, where that critical critical acclaim was there and the commercial acclaim was there yeah it waned a little bit in the last couple seasons but still at one point it was the biggest fucking global phenomenon on planet earth uh and despite that despite it being a genre show there are episodes that a show that are like harrowingly character centric and i kind of a lot of it informs what we see in the leftovers as well so Mm -hmm. uh i I, I think i'm going to tackle that and i'm going to be basic as fuck i'm going to pick you know which one i'm going to pick from constant it's got to be the constant man it really does not to say that we can't do other ones at some point i I look forward to revisiting yeah so so i'm not necessarily going to go with mad men for this next week oh okay Um, well i I will say this eventually want to get to it Um, the lost want to do constant yeah Yeah, that's happening what is yours the lost constant geez because i have a few on deck that uh that i would want to do um i was thinking uh you're the worst uh has an episode in season three you're not caught up on that show have you? no but i can i told you i got real depressed watching that show that was a little too close to home yeah it gets gets brutal um but the episode that i'm talking about uh is in season three i forget what it's called but i will i will send it to you and we can uh, we can talk about it. Yeah, we'll make it happen. All right. So you, you so but you want to lock that in? You're the worst for sure. Whether it's a different episode or you know the episode already. Yeah, I know the episode. Okay, I just cool. don't remember what it's called. We're gonna get a really weird uh, mix, <laughs> weirder than Buffy and The Sopranos <laughs> next week uh, of uh, Lost and uh, You're the Worst, which is a fucking phenomenal comedy. I'm excited to talk about it, man. Yeah. I think we did okay with whatever we're gonna end up calling this. We'll have a name by next week when we actually keep doing this, but. Uh, yeah. I think we did all right, man. We did, yeah, we did okay. this has been the inaugural episode of Movies and Shit TV show episodes that both Christian and I picked for each other to watch. It's not. It's breathy. It doesn't work. It's not great. Tune in next week. See ya. <laughs>